just getting back from the greatest smallmouth bass tournament in the history of ever. And we got Jake Latondres once again, my long lost buddy with the ultimate Jake's take. What really happened behind the scenes this week on... Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Happy Wednesday, all. Happy Hump Day to all my humpers returning week after week. Welcome, one. Welcome, all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. This is the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. And I welcome each and every one of you. And I thank you for joining us on Hump Day. Trying to put just a little hump back in your hump day. And speaking of hump, uh, what a smallmouth bass tournament we had this past week on the St. Lawrence River. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, uh, four flat days, perfect weather days. Um, you know, it's the kind of days that normally happen in pre-fish. But it was the opposite this time around. Prefish was brutal, and the tournament was perfect. And as most tournament anglers know, it's normally perfect prefish and and brutal tournament. So once again, God proves He loves the Bassmasters <laughs> um, because a little known fact: among all of the two century belts were earned with smallmouth for the first time in history. How Corey Johnston was it to go and catch a crack a century belt? And then just falls short of the win. Jay Shakurik, an incredible champion, uh, 23 years old, just turned 23. The youngest to ever win an Elite Series event took that title away from Casey Ashley <clears throat> by just a few months. And you hear my voice is a little raspy, although I'm talking about it being Wednesday. It's actually Monday when I'm shooting this. I just got home. And uh, when you're watching this, I'm actually sweating in the hottest place in earth. Orlando, Florida, this time of year. I mean, I've been to the Amazon River, what, three times, I believe. Traveled all around the world. So lucky to do that. The hottest I've ever been in my entire life is in Orlando in July. Um, one year we were doing some stand-ups out front. Stand-ups, that's a TV word for just standing in front of a building and, and talking about what's going on inside the building. We were doing some stand-ups and it literally everybody was sweating, the entire crew, everything. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm currently sweating right now, but, um, what happened this past weekend was absolutely insane. Um, uh, we, we could have got Jay on here. I talked to, uh, his dad about it because he was just enthralled by and but you know what i i i'm growing so tired of the champ chasing like there's so many podcasts now and no shade on any of them there's a lot of great podcasts out there in the world but uh i just i think it's better if i just let the champs chill i mean maybe i just know them too well and i'm like i see all the pressure you got in your life it's iCast this week you're 23 years old you just set a record that some people thought would never be broken they, they said there'd never be a hundred pound smallmouth bag and um you got to go to iCast too so um I'm sure we'll have Jay secure it on here in just a little while but um this week we're going to go behind the scenes with the Jake taken and, and here's where I started because sometimes I get off of track if you've listened to this show before you realize that 
But man, what flew under the radar with all of those records that were broken? Corey Johnson with the second, the biggest smallmouth bass bag in Elite Series history, second biggest in Bassmaster history. J.C. Kirk, the youngest to ever win. Um, all of the giant stats that threw around. If you don't know them, just go watch my FYI from Monday fishing news show we do every week. But here's one thing that nobody has pointed out or, or it hasn't got a lot of hype just simply because there's so many records being thrown around. That was our seventh Elite Series event. Three out of our seven events this year cracked 100 pounds. Just say that to yourself. Three out of the seven events we've had so far cracked 100 pounds. And there's some anglers saying that Oahe could crack 100 pounds. So whether it's three or four at the end of this year, I mean, if it becomes four out of nine, that's un it's almost 50%. And, and people said that the Elite Series schedule sucked. The numbers do not lie, my friends. Um, unfathomable. Three different times this year we've had century belts. Obviously, Lake Fork, Santee, and now the St. Lawrence River. Unbelievable. But what you want and what you need here on this show uh, is the skinny, the behind the scenes, the chat, the things you didn't see. And we're going to deliver that because once again, and I've missed him. It's been a while. Literally, I, I, I miss him when he's not on here. And I know you guys miss him because um, he just classes up the show a lot so let's bring back my buddy bassmaster videographer jake latondris the tenderness jake welcome back it's been a while that we've since we've done this but um thanks for doing this i mean literally you got home at 3 30 last night you got a few hours with your kids and you're turning and going to steel timber sports so thanks for caring enough about our viewers to invest this time I was looking, I was looking forward to it. And, you know, these long six week breaks between tournaments seems like forever. Sometimes like we start all over again, but yeah, man, I've been looking forward to this one and good Lord, what a tournament. Holy moly. The greatest smallmouth bass tournament in the history of the world. Literally the history I of mean, history. Uh, it, There's never I mean, been anything like it. No, never. And when day one came, and we had 61 20 pound bags like that way in alone, like, you know, to go as I started, like counting, we got to nine, I guess. And um, and I was like, oh, oh, I'm putting a lot of pressure on whoever breaks the <laughs> doesn't weigh in 20 pounds because it was like everybody had 20 pounds. And then um, Masayuki Masashita, I think, was the first one. And I kind of felt bad that I had built it up. But 61 bags over 20 pounds, um, nine of those over 25 and that was just day number one. And the leading weight was 27 pounds, 15 ounces. It, Essentially, you had to catch 25 pounds to be in the top 10. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Un, un, unreal. It was wild. It was uh, I, it's one it's one tournament where I kind of wish I was backstage. Like, I'm always happy that I, I feel like I have the best seat in the house. I'm right beside the guys when everything goes down. And But there's the very odd tournament where I'm like, it would have been so cool to just watch guys reaction. You know, the amount of guys that were like, I got 22 pounds. Like a lot of anglers laid off, you know, got 22 and thought they were good and laid off. But you imagine like what they felt like coming around that corner to check in. And then you're just here 25, 26, 24, 23. Like it, it, I think 22 pounds puts you in 30 is something like it, it's stupid. 
I mean, I, you know, day one, I was with, uh, or day two, I was with Jacob Fouts after he took the lead with essentially 28 pounds because he had yeah. 27, 15. Right. Yeah. And so he, he, he caught, you know, a spoonful of water, less than 28 pounds. And he's told me, you know, as we were waiting on takeoff, he was saying, he said, man, when I got to 25, I went to, I went practicing. That's all. And I was like, I'm done. You know, I got 25 pounds. This has to be way enough. So then he just kept upgrading wherever he was practicing. He kept catching bigger fish. He was like, I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to, I was trying to practice for the next day for day three. And, you know, it, it just turned out the way it did. You know, one of the most phenomenal, I mean, the weights were phenomenal, right? Being out on the lake with the anglers, one of the really, truly phenomenal things that I experienced was watching how many four pounders these guys were catching and tossing back like they were 13 inches, literally. Yeah. Like, like you see this four pound smallmouth come, you know, when they, when they boat it or bread loaf it or whatever, and they toss it back in the water, you're like, this is crazy. I mean, Lee Livesey told me he caught between 100 and 150 bass on day three and they were all four to four and a half pounds. You just can't catch any big ones to move up, but a hundred to 150 four pound smallmouth, and you're tossing them back. Like they're nothing. I mean, who does that? <laughs> uh, Hackney said that to me at takeoff on day, uh, on the last day on championship Sunday, he said, like, I wish we were counting how many 20 pound bags were called. He said, like, he's, he couldn't even imagine how many he's like, he tried in his head to add up, like how many 20 pound bags have I caught this week and not even thought about just like, boom, they're gone. Um, it was like six awesome. or eight 20 pound bags in one day that you're, yeah. that you're, that you're releasing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why, um, uh, I'll give you my take and I'd like to hear what, what some of the anglers thought maybe from you. Um, but I think it was a lot of different things. I think it was the fact that number one, we got four flat, incredible days. You got the perfect days, um, which you never That's get, huge. ever get for like, I don't know that we've had four days on that body of water this season like that. You know what I mean? We've had many days like the best days, but, but, but the next day it's rough. And it, maybe it's not storming, but it's blowing. Um, it's so I different. think that that was a big part of it. I think it was also the perfect storm where, Prefish was uh, punishingly bad. It was normally, it was the opposite of what happens in most tournaments, in my opinion. Like normally it's flat calm during prefish. You start the tournament, you're like, oh, this sucks. But once again, we learned that God loves Bassmaster. He's a Bassmaster <laughs> fan and he shone on us for four straight days. So I think the fact that the anglers laid off them for the most part through prefish, then we had an off day. So it was almost like four days where those fish weren't messed with too much, you know, and it was so rough. There wasn't a lot of pleasure at anglers out there. I think also technology plays into it. Like it's meeting and it was the perfect storm of awesomeness. Like, I mean, I don't know that it can get much better than that, but uh, I can't wait to see. I mean, I think a lot of the thing, all everything that you just said, I totally agree with. The guys that I was fishing with, except for Taku on day one, but Jacob Fouts and Zaldane, uh, days two, three, and four, they were they were all they were all seeing them. They were all yeah. sight fishing, so their electronics really had nothing to do with it, right? Just for those guys, I and think it helps them find them better, though. Like even on those shallow flats, like when you. 
and maybe it wasn't those anglers, but but I think what happens is like they find the fish with their eyes. But, you know, when you break up those that pack of fish or if you start chasing them, it becomes hard to find them. Like it's amazing how something that glows somewhat disappears. But then now they can just quickly scan and be like, oh, they went that way. But yet you're right. Like the shallower guys, not as much. But um, yeah, sorry. They, they would, they would, you know, see and pitch. They'd see the fish, pitch to it, boom. And they were eating. The fish were eating because there were still lots of fish just either still spawning or just coming off spawn. So they were eating like crazy. I mean, they were catching. They were, Matt Robertson told me the, uh, on Saturday evening when I stopped in at their hotel and hung out with those guys, he said that he had more casts on Saturday, he had more casts where he caught fish than he had casts where he didn't catch fish. Like, like you know, I mean, it's just it's crazy. And we had the consistency of weather. The wind direction didn't change much. There was hardly any wind. Plus, we ran out of Clayton instead of Waddington, so there was more fishing time. From the weather's perspective, they didn't have to. They didn't have to adjust. <laughs> Yeah, return to home, uh, worried about the weather and the waves and all that stuff. More people went out on the lake. Plus, you know, that whole river system in front of Clayton really fishes more like a lake than it does the river coming out of Waddington because the current's way, it's just not as severe. Yeah. So, and it, you know, man, that, that was that was a that was one of the funnest gigs in Bassmaster that the 11 years that I've been doing this, that was one of the, the funnest tournaments I've ever been a part of. That was, that was a blast. And it made me want to go fishing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, and I agree with you. The extra time is the biggest thing of all of it. Like if you look at when Chris got closest to a hundred pounds before this, 97 pounds. Where were we in Clayton? The fishing in Waddington's great. The people of Waddington are incredible. I love Absolutely. those crowds. I love everybody there. But you just can't change the fact that that you get extra time out in the lake. But here's here's the truth. When you hear so many anglers like Seth Fighter, it amazed me. Greg Hackney. Um, several others said to me throughout the week, like, this is the first time I've ever gone to the lake. I've always fished in the river. And uh, but here's the truth. They're hooked on that lake smack. But that's what <laughs> happens when you get out there and you see how literally everything can go wrong on the lake. And if you have the right 10 minutes, you can weigh 25, 27, 28 so pounds. Um, it has to go a lot better on the river to have that happen. So uh, exactly. It was wild. The, the the only the only time I've ever seen anyone like I've been in a boat with someone that was catching those caliber of fish consistently on the river. How many how many times have we in the last ten years? How many times have we been to St. Lawrence? I six never or seven. To work it up. I, I I said right at six or seven. I'm right in there. It's either this was our seventh or you know, well six or seventh. Like you right. said, I covered Justin Lucas uh, when he did. He did he win that tournament or came in set? I think he won that tournament. No, 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 right? he didn't. Uh, I, I think that, that was uh, didn't Bertrand. he finish second? Bertrand won that yeah. tournament, but Lucas won Angler of the Year that week, so that's, that's why right. it kind of seemed like right. And and he was consistently catching five plus pound smallmouth on the river in that in the channel next to the buoys the the channel yeah. buoys and that was really other than that you know it seems like if you're going to catch fish that big that consistently it all happens on the lake and 
one of the things that I noticed about uh, being with Taku that sort of changed on day one, where he went back to his spot from last year, where Smallmouth Disneyland. Disneyland. Right? Yeah, I see and the shirt. Hang on one second, yes, sir. Yes. So that was my son asking for a Gatorade. <laughs> it's summer vacation. He's home for like 12 can I, hours. Can I introduce my son real quick? Yeah, bring him in. Hey, Walker, come here. Come here. Oh, it's Walker. Okay, go the, get it. Go get the it. Box yeah, the box and fisherman. That's right. He's going to go get his six cents hat because his hair's messed up. <laughs> oh, wow. So being with Taku on day one, he went out to Smallmouth Disneyland and there was like three boats on it, on right on top of where he caught him last year. So he, as, as, as he normally does, he just, shook it off and moved on right he was like 55th boat out on day one so there was lots of people ahead of him so he went to this other location that he had never fished before other than in practice and i don't think he caught a fish there during practice he just scanned it and saw what he wanted to see and then thought he would he would keep that in mind if he needed it and he did on day one so he went back there his first pitch in, he throws his dr- little drop shot down and he catches a th- his biggest fish, like six plus pounder. And when it came up, Dave, it came to the surface. There was like 10 or 12, the same exact size that, that followed his fish up. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So he, he, he boats that fish, puts it in the live well, uh, you know, kicks his spot lock button on, goes back to the front of the boat pitches back out there. Oh no, I'm sorry. He's looking for those fish and he couldn't find him again. He lost them. They vanished on him. So he thought, well, they were either just swimming through and he got lucky or, you know, he just couldn't, he just couldn't relocate them. So after he came back on day three with that big bag that he had, I asked him, or was it, uh, no, it was day two. He came back day with two, a big bag, big like bag. 26, 26 pounds. Or, yeah. So I asked him, I asked him, um, did you go back to that spot? And he said, yes. So he went back to that spot and found those fish. And that's where he caught most of his 26 pounds. So that was a cool little story. I think Walker's doing some shadow boxing back there. Walker, come here, buddy. Come here. Hey, everybody. This is my, this is my son, Walker. He's the boxer slash bass fisherman extraordinaire. Can you say hi, Walker? (laughs) <laughs> this Walker is, this has is my incredible hair Even though he has a hat on You can tell he's got good hair around. Oh look at it, there we go That's his six cents hat Wow, sponsor plugging <laughs> already <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hey, speaking of family I want to say something um, I always talk about the Bass family And our crew on the road And I think I learned once again, I mean, I've learned it over and over again, but just how special our crew is um, because my family was there, my real family, um, my wife and my two kids were there um, all weekend. And uh, man, just to see how out of the way all the anglers and all the staff and all the camera folk, all the, like everybody, like, it, it, like I can't thank one person because all of you guys, I mean, honestly, it was really distracting when I was on stage, just watching how much people were doting over my family and, and welcoming them. And we were lovely, incredible group of people. It was lovely, Dave. And I spent some time, you know, your, your family was hanging out by the camera trailer and I spent some, a little time with them just chatting with your daughter, your son and your wife. 
and they're extremely pleasant people. Your daughter's dog, Luna, is is so cool. And I asked your daughter, I said, can I pet Luna? And she said, uh, no, not without the vest on or with the vest on. Yeah. So she literally was going to take that vest off just so I could pet Luna. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I totally understand. I just, you know, I, let's just leave the vest on. But it was, it was a pleasure meeting your family. And I smirked earlier when you first started talking about your family because the thing I remember most was the dialogue that you and Swindle had on stage. Oh, <laughs> that was so, that was, that was hilarious. Swindle's awesome. Swindle oh is, uh, every time I work with him, it's funny. We talked on the phone this morning. Yeah. He called me about some stuff. Um, and, uh, I said it to him this morning, but the more I work with him, the more I just appreciate just the, the genius he is and genius and, and the duty is too, like the person he is like, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but if you haven't seen the video on his social media, I did heroes act out at moments when nobody expects anything to happen. And Gerald Swindle was a hero this past weekend. If you ask me, um, you know, the, the video, basically a group of bikers pass him, you know, a, a bike group that's, passing him on the road and he still had his camera running because all the anglers have to run a camera. Most people, a lot of people don't know that, but they have to run a, you know, a camera on the back of their boat all day in case something needs a to be checked out. Or, yeah. Yep. So his camera was still running and he was towing the boat back to where they was staying. And uh, the group of bikers passes him. And then all of a sudden you just see this biker on the ground and his bikes, you know, a hundred yards away or something like that. And Swindle stops, obviously sprints out and you just know him what to say. Basically, right away, he's like, don't move, stay still. We've already called 911, you know what I mean? And then it kind of cuts off from there. But man, Swindle's a, a joy to work with, um, an honor to call him a friend and and um, videos like that show. I mean, he makes a lot of people laugh and, and he's kind of, you know, the clown prince of bass fishing, you know, and I think people meet him and they're wanting to always laugh, but, but outside of that laughter, Gerald Swindle's an incredible human being. Always doing things the right way for people with people. I mean, even a week and a half or two weeks ago, his video, his, his monologue was about the handicapped guy on the dock that yeah. was there knowing he wasn't going to catch any fish, but he was doing it there anyway. And he was like, that's why we do this. That's yeah. why you fish. It's not about the money. It's not about the sponsors. I mean, once it's a job, it is. But the reason why you do that in the first place is because of what it's passion. And, yeah. and he's all Gerald Swindle is an, like you said, an incredible human being, the things that he says is always the right thing to say. And it's because it all well, comes from his, not heart. always. Well, <laughs> when he's not joking, when he's serious, it's, it's always yes. about, it's not about him. It's about the other person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, smart mouth anyway. people like, like <laughs> myself and Swindle, we don't ever stop to think enough. So we always get in trouble with something. But uh, no, he's he's an amazing dude. And uh, our whole crew, like I said, I mean, it, uh, you know, and it's not like Lee. it's the first time everybody's met my family or anything like that. Most people. But it's just like you just get reminded again just how awesome the group of people we work with is and just how we're, we're lucky. We're lucky to work where we do and do what we do. 
they're going to have, I'm going to, I'll probably work there until I'm actually dead because I don't ever want to get away from all of you guys. Look what Lee Livesey and Matt Robertson did for Bob. Oh yeah. And I I was there when that was all going down. Like, you know, I had to jump on live because they were supposed to be on live. I, I jumped on live when they left, but I mean, dude, they ran all over that place trying to get a boat without even going back to get their own boat because they were like, that's going to waste time. I'm going to have to race waypoints and everything. They were trying to get, you know, demo ride boats and all this stuff. And it, it, it couldn't work out. Um, and then without, you know, I, I remember I looked at Lee and Matt and I'm like, the quickest way this is going to get fixed is, you know, and they were like, let's not waste any more time. The brand back got the boat, erased all their waypoints, you know, and brought it out to old Bob and, uh, Cool people, cool, uh, really, cool group really of anglers cool people, we get to man. work with. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Well, let's get back to the fishing. Yeah, too. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so the, you were with Takumi on day one, defending champion, and um, he had, he had a great day, but it was just not a this time around great day. Do you think right, he was he, shocked when he came in and saw the weights? I think everyone was shocked yeah. when we came and saw the weights. I mean, the date on day two, the morning while we're all waiting on takeoff, we're sent. We're uh, I'm in uh, Jacob Fouts's boat, and he's parked there beside Hunter Shryock. And Hunter goes, "How much? How many pounds do you think the top ten is going to go down today?" And I said, "I said none. I really don't. I don't think. I think this is going to go all the way through the entire tournament because of what happened. What happened?" on day one, right? Nine people over 25 pounds all over the lake. That's not like two or three people found a, a glory hole, you know, and, and then picked out the six pounders. This was like showing consistency. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, God, look what happened on day four. I mean, it, 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 the, the opportunity to be on that system, everyone says this every year, Everyone says this every year. Let me open my butt, my son's Gatorade. There you go. There you go, buddy. <laughs> every year, everyone says, this is, you know, this is my favorite place to go. And after this year, I think even more people are like, this is, this is more than that. This is more than my favorite place to go fishing. This is the greatest fishery on planet earth because you look at even a lot, like no one targets largemouth because you're probably not going to win a tournament there on largemouth, but you could pull up to one of those grass, those flooded grass islands and literally flip that thing and catch 50 largemouth between three and four pounds. They're packed in there like sardines. And so, you know, and, and I remember Jacob Fouts uh, saying on day two where he was fishing, it was glass total. It was like, I was, I, I spent a lot of time looking down yeah. because I was so amazed at what you could see. And the opportunity to do that is so rare there that it blew my mind. And I, and I kept looking down and you could see thousands of, of gobies swimming around down there on the bottom or, or crawling around on the bottom. And, and then he snagged or he didn't snag one. He actually caught one in the, in the mouth, a bigger one. And yeah. he said, when you're catching these, you might as well move because they're the gobies. If, if, if there's smallmouth around and they're feeding, the gobies are not around. Like they're down in the, in the cracks and crevices of the rocks, like prairie dogs are when eagles and hawks are around, you know what I'm saying? 
And so that was a very interesting observation. And the next three, uh, the next two days, day three and day four, I was fortunate enough to be in his boat again on day three and then Saldane's on day four. And I was noticing the same things. When you see gobies, if you have visibility in shallow enough water and you see gobies, they're not catching them. When you look down and you don't see gobies, they're catching them. It was a really interesting observation. That's interesting because I, I mean, I know that you catch them a lot when they're around gobies too. But I mean, here's what I also think was happening this week. Gobies spawn like six times a year. Most people don't think about that. And, and especially when you see the darker ones, darker ones are actually, that's supposedly when a goby is spawning. So I think we also hit it on that, but um, now that that's an interesting observation, but um I, dude, I'm at a loss for words for the whole event, to be honest. Like, I mean, it, just to me, I just couldn't, like when I was arguing, I mean, Overstreet were jo- jokingly arguing on day one, what the cut was going to be. And I was like 19 pounds all day, 19 pounds all day. And he's like, come on. And he's looking back in historic events and we're looking at 16 pounds and stuff like that to make the cut. And he's like, there's no way it's going to be lower than that. I never imagined to be 20 pounds and 13 ounces after day one to get inside the cut. Like it, it's just appalling really like and, and i'm sure there's a lot of anglers left there anglers left there catching their personal best and didn't even make the cut it, it was just uh it was a special yeah. week and the best thing about special weeks like that is nobody saw it coming there was a lot of people sore mouthing because pre-fish was rough because of weather and whatever and they're post-spawned like the crazy thing is just imagine how good it could be there like it, it, September, they're bigger, you know, October, right. they're bigger. Like right. uh, the, the post spawn six pounders, you know, that were skinny. What do they weigh in September? You know, what do they weigh in two weeks? You know, I mean, uh, uh, Lawrence Parker, the, the owner of fat bass, I, I think you met at this yeah, tournament, right? Met him yeah. and his wife, really nice people. Yeah. You know, he, he, he lived in Ontario for two years, like not too far from you actually. Yeah. Never met and, him there. Ironically, the day, the week after he moved back to the States, I met him. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And he, you know, he's become good friends with some of the local anglers around that area, like Cooper Gallant and several other people. And he said one of his buddies uh, fished a, a, a local tournament there not too long ago. And he had three days of 34 pounds. They, he weighed 34 pounds three days in a row. Smallmouth. Where was this tournament? I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to ask. I'd have to find out specifically. But that's what I mean. I could probably find the score sheet online somewhere and screenshot it and send it to you. Thirty-four pounds, three days in a row. I have never heard of that. I mean, um, that's insane. If you if you know about it in the comments, let us know. I mean, I, I that's no, so. It was a Canadian tournament? It was a Canadian tournament. Wow. I mean, we that's to, we need to find that because that's actually dude, over that's, 100 that's over 100 pounds. pounds. That's what I'm working. I knew it was, but I literally grabbed my phone and was like, that's 102 pounds. I think Lawrence is lying. OK, I think he <laughs> makes nice, nice shirts and uh, good dude. Beautiful wife, Sonny. Um, that's not her real name. That's her, her that's Japanese her name. She said yeah. nobody would remember. Korean. Remember Sonny. Korean. Sorry. She's from Seoul. Yeah. Um, and uh and uh, she was right because I remembered her name is Sunny. So uh, 
but I, I want to know where this 34 pounds, unless it's for six fish or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it, it could be a fact, but I mean, incredible fishery regardless. Either way. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like when everybody hears the, the lake, the lake, the lake, I think the river's just as good, but here's the difference. I think those bass in the river and the further you get up the river, the more it happens, they live life on a treadmill. Those bass out in the lake, they don't have to move near as much. They're not constantly fighting current. I think they're both gorging. They're always eating. They're, they have a short window to do it. Um, but I just think that exercise pays off. And, loaded uh, loaded with calories in the lake and they don't burn it off as quickly. I would, there's, I would, I would agree with that a hundred percent. What is it? <clears throat> excuse me. What is it with the color black and that super clear water? What is it with the color black that is so effective on that system? I never knew for a long, long time. And I, and I still might not know, but, but the more swimming with smallmouth as I've done over the last, you know, five years or so, really getting into that dude i almost never throw anything other than black or green pumpkin unless i have a reason to you know what i mean unless they're not working but i think it makes a lot of sense and it made a lot of sense to me once i started swimming because when you look at how a smallmouth looks at a bait in that super clear water Black glows. I mean, even bright baits like chartreuse. If you try to get, if you want a swimming pool, throw a chartreuse bait and you look up, it disappears. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that black, that outline, it just silhouettes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just silhouettes and uh, dark colors are, are key. And I'm finding that the clearer the water, the darker the bait. Um, if you could get a darker black, I would get a darker black. Exactly. Um, it's <laughs> like uh, super black. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and I was all the anglers you were throwing, they were all throwing dark stuff. Every one of them were throwing black or dark green pumpkin color pattern of some sort, but mostly yeah. black and had, you know, some people had a little purple in there. Jacob Fouts had a, had a plastic, he had a white plastic rig set up for when he would spot a fish pitched multiple times and different baits at it yeah. and wouldn't react. He threw a white one in there and, but he was catching those off the bottom. So the fish would have to come down to feed it. And I think that white, the visible white on the bottom contrast played a reverse effect, but the yep. same sort of theory uh, that was going on. You yeah. know, it's, it's really, it's what, and, and let me ask you this, Dave, you spend way more time around smallmouth than I do. Why do they like sand so much? Like I, pockets of sand. I think it, it just, it's, I mean, number one around the spawn, it's, it's easy to spawn, but I mean, you, those sand pockets in between the rocks, like those rock veins and everything that they travel on. I, I just think it's a comfort thing. You know what I mean? You see them, you don't like, you see them swimming along rock veins a lot. Mm -hmm. In my experience, on the I don't edges. see them sitting on that rock vein. You see them sitting on sand. So I don't know if it's a comfort thing, a temperature thing or what. That's what um, I was wondering if, if it's a temperature if, if, yeah, you know, it might be a temperature thing. I mean, I just I think it goes down to comfort generally. Um, but yeah, you do see them on those sand patches a lot. And no I mean, matter where you are, I mean, whether it's here in Colorado or I did, you know, some filming for KVD a few years ago up on those chain lakes in Michigan near Traverse City, and it was the same thing. You know, when he's catching them, they're over the over the the, the massive grass flats, but over the sand 
the sand, open sand holes in yeah. the grass flats. That's where they are, you know? And, and it started, it started to gain my curiosity. I'm not the acute angler that all of you guys are. I love to fish and I do it a lot. I'm not that aware of those little details. And I was curious about that. Why they hang, why they're so active on sand. I think it's also like if you watch, if you swim with smallmouth and you go out and I believe this, like if you go to any one of those shoals and you literally get onto the water and you start banging two rocks together. You'll see them. They start to come and they're inquisitive. And the other thing that, that they seem to respond to is dropping rocks and especially dropping rocks in sand and stuff because you get that big poof. They're very curious. And I, th- I think, like, you know, when people talk about buddy fish, I'm more convinced today than ever that there's, like, on a fishery like that at this time of year, there's always buddy fish. We just don't always see them. Now, those buddy right. fish are one of two things. Those buddy fish are either they were paired together, one, eight, yeah, or, or they could be in a group of a little wolf pack of nine of them, um, one, eights, and then you see a few of them follow. But I also think a lot of times those buddy fish, they just come charging in because that smallmouth's shaking its head and everything, and they're inquisitive. And uh, I mean, I, I think there's always a buddy there. I heard so many times with Zaldane or, or Jacob Faust, even people talking at the tanks at weigh-in about how they'd have a, you know, a five pounder hooked and then be another five pounder kind of trying to eat the weight on the drop shot. Like they're like, they're competitive. They're so aggressive yeah. and so competitive. That a has theory. a lot to do with that. Which I have a theory? theory about that. And I, it's, it's it. funny. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally working on a video right now. Um, that I, I want to release soon that kind of, in my opinion, proves it. Dude, I don't think they're trying to buy the uh, eat the bait. I don't think they're trying to eat the drop shot way to just think it happens to be there and maybe they do. I think what they're doing is natural in nature because I have like three or four different times I've caught a shot of a fish that eats a bait. And I, I'm talking, I've caught it both with seen it with lures and i've also seen it with you know shad and shiners and stuff like that so it eats a shiner and another fish comes beside it if you think about it in all your experience everyone listen to this we all think that that fish is trying to steal that bait out of its mouth but if you look where the fish goes they generally go to the side of the other fish they don't go to the mouth they don't go head on head they go to the side i'm certain dude they're trying to suck said bait through the mouth, out the gills, into their mouth. Because when you think about it, a fish eats, mm. and when they suck flares. in, whatever they suck in, it flares, right? Mm. And even when it's down there fighting, it's And there's flared. always backwash that comes out the back, always. And I have several shots of a fish coming and going, and it actually sucks the bait through. I mean, I talked to Bernie Schultz about it this weekend, and he's like, man, I, I think I believe your theory, because he said I had a buddy at home the years ago, it was a big story in Florida. He was shiner fishing and he caught 22 pounds of fish on one cast because he had a, he caught a 10 and a 12 on one cast. And he said the bait went through the fish's gills into the other fish's mouth and he fought them both back to the boat. And they thought at the time, this is just a fluke or whatever. But you think of the amount of people that have had something like that happen to them and the fact that I. Me, myself, I've been able to get that on camera, you know, three or four times. I think there's more to it. And when you start watching them, once you think about that and you start watching them, you see that's what they're 
that they're trying to get that bait out of the fish's mouth. They're not. Um, and, and that's also what makes sense. Why in a team tournament, our weights would have been doubled because you would have had another person there that boom, drops that bait out Immediately. and it's right. And if you can drop it right beside that other fish, the other one always grabs it. Well, it thinks it's come out and goof, it smokes. Right. It. It's right. It's I don't instinct, know if it's right I mean, or there's wrong, some instinctual, but, innate, instinctual yeah. reaction there that's going. There's no question. And I've never thought about what you just said, but I don't disagree with that at all just because, I mean, it happens so often. It happens yeah. almost – I mean, if any time there's more than one fish around and that fish gets hooked, if there's another fish around or two or three or, or wolf pack, like you said, it happens every time. And this is somewhat off topic of the the turn the St. Louis St. Lawrence River tournament that we just left. But I would say this, my and this is in in coordinated uh, an elaboration of what you're saying. My dad was a pearl farmer. And so we were always around muscle beds. Yeah. Whether it was little z- worried about zebra mussels or big muscle freshwater mussels in the Mississippi or Texas lakes or the Tennessee River or any of those systems, they all have uh, muscle beds and bass, big bass always hang around muscle beds. And what happens is what we we discovered through scuba diving and observation is the mussels, when they're gravid, when they're spawning, they shoot out this their eggs called glochidia into the water. The bait fish come in to eat the glochidia, which are the mussel eggs. The big fish come in to eat the bait fish. But when the big fish come in, the, the, the mussels shoot out more glochidia because those eggs, they're like little Pac-Man when they're swimming in the water column, the, the freshwater mussel eggs. And they have to attach to a fish's gill as a parasite to feed off the nutrients of the, off the blood, off the gills, when they form their ex, ex, exoskeleton, their, their, their shell, they drop off and they go to the bottom and they have to be on a hard bottom, not in silt or they'll die in silt. So they have to be on a hard bottom, which is why those freshwater mussel beds are always on hard bottom. And that's why they're always catching fish around them. There's this symbiotic nature and so many things going on in, in the Marine world that we don't understand. You do more because you spend so much time swimming around with fish and trying to, you know, video them and stuff like that. But most people don't understand that that symbiotic relationship is a lot of and, and a lot of the angle the really good anglers understand that that's why they catch consi- fish consistently because there's something going on that that we don't understand but they do yeah and like i said i don't know that uh, it's my theory just from what i've seen nobody really knows what's going on but but i it makes sense to me and i, and I don't think they think that it's they just hear commotion and they know when commotion happens, like we call them buddies, but they're not really buddies, you know, for the most part. They, they're natural, they're wild animals. You know what I mean? They're, they're, right. they're fish. They don't think like they're us. They're comfortable around each other because they're same species, but they're not like buddies. No, they, they want to, you know, <laughs> like. They had teeth, they'd kill each other. <laughs> if I have a pizza and you got no food, I'm going to offer you a slice. They don't ever uh-huh. share like that. Um, right. So they, uh, I think they hear the commotion. And they just come over and then all of a sudden there's, there's nothing but a fish fighting. There's no feeding frenzy. There's not a bunch of bait and they know where that bait is. So who knows? Who knows? Let me ask you this. Here's another, since we're on smallmouth on the St. Lawrence system, why do giant smallmouth 
make a living on such small bits of food small like why 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 couldn't you throw a giant a glide bait down there and catch giant smallmouth i think you could i think you could uh i, well, I and i think we might see it in Oahu. um spinnerbait big like, spinnerbait I mean, one of the Can very few that? tournaments i was able to win i won on lake st Clair with a good buddy of mine simon frost and we fished in an area right in front of a bunch of people and it was a big tournament, and, but we wanted on eight inch swim baits and it was a, but it, wow. I think at certain times they will eat big baits. The problem is, it, are you willing to, like, if you just want to go catch a trophy and you're fun fishing, I think you can do that. But if you're a tournament angler, there's going to be more of them turn away. So you just go with the, the approach of highest percentages. You know what I mean? Like you saw this week, you have to catch more than five. Because good chance, you, you know, you got to wean through them and catch a bigger one. So I think, I, I think that they do eat big baits at times. I mean, I think that you look at some of those gobies. Some of those gobies are giant, and I and I think they eat them at times. But I think they also have tiny little mouths. Like if you look at St. Lawrence River smallmouth, they're not like smallmouth on a northern lake. Like I know it's a northern lake, but if you look at like outside of the great lake smallmouth they get much longer and their mouth gets like look at that big record smallmouth in cayuga look at the size of its mouth if you ever caught a smallmouth with a size a mouth that size on the saint lawrence river it'd be a 10 pounder just because they're a lot younger they got a lot smaller mouths and stuff like that and um, it, i think they do eat big things but i just think smaller baits are more readily available to them and they just like to eat like <laughs> like more and more that I spend time in the States, I, you know, growing up here, I'd always hear about patterns and seasons and post-spawn and pre-spawn and all this. And there's certain ones of them that you're just like, well, I, I don't know if our fish do that as much as some of the stuff I've read about. I think Northern fish do every single thing that the other fish do it. They just do it so quick. They go from the, the post-spawn is not a month. The post-spawn is a week, you know, because this, their prime living season is just shortened. So everything's amplified. I mean, on our lake, the, my home lake here in, in Colorado, I throw topwater a lot because we have largemouth and smallmouth in the same lake, and they're they're pretty good size. You know, they're, let's say, three to five-pound largemouth and three to five-pound smallmouth in the same lake. And I've wow. caught I've caught my biggest smallmouth here on a super spook, like a big topwater. But most of the time, they hit it, but they miss it. But then I go to Horsetooth Reservoir, which is our big home lake here, and I throw big jerk baits like Mega Bass, the V110s, and I catch I catch smallmouth smaller than the bait on the jerk bait. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think you're right. They do eat bigger baits. They just don't fish for them because whatever reason, they're just locked into a pattern or who knows? I mean, I wondered why they weren't throwing top water when it was so glass calm out there and they could bomb cast these, these top water baits, you know, to where they think the big fish are, are laying on those, you know, those sand rib or those rock ribs between sand flats. Cause they can cover a lot of ground bomb casting, but it takes so long to get a spook in. Maybe they just want to, it's just a number of casts that, that, that makes the difference. I don't know. I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing was they had the availability to see the fish. So if you can see the fish, it's much more efficient to throw something that, you know, it's just going to go 
like if you looked at uh, Greg Hackney, it stood out just how rapidly he was shaking his drop shot and he was catching, but he was seeing every one of those fish throw into it. And I mean, they're inquisitive. They're like a cat, you know, they, they want to chase down. You play with the cat, you, you know, that's how they react. They're so much different. Like a large mouth is like a big old dog that just, you have to tempt and bother and right. put a steak in front of them. And they'd be like, Oh, I'll eat that. Right. But a cat, I mean, you, you pair of socks, shake right. in front of a cat, and it doesn't matter what it is. It. You could tie a pencil onto a, a fishing <laughs> line, toss it to a cat, and just just start twitching, and it's going to come after it. Yeah, that's what makes it so frustrating when you don't catch smallmouth. Like when you go in days, and you're like, these things are so dumb at times, but make me look so dumb at times. And you're it's- seeing them. You're seeing them. You know, and how curious they are to how curious they are. Even when you when you hook one, they always want to go under the boat where they feel safe. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and they, and then if they're not eating, sometimes when you troll past them, those those fish will make a big circle around and come and follow the boat. And they're like right behind. Them. It is so I'm so glad it was calm for f- the days that we were at St. Lawrence uh, on the big lake because I, I learned so much about their habits and their their curiosities and their reactions to different things um that was that was truly an awesome experience an incredible experience one thing i think we should talk about because we talk about all your records and by, and we have to be equal to all the great camera staff you i think bet. brian evie set a record this week didn't he i mean like uh, it ended the streak ended but he had eight days in a row with brandon Polnick. has there ever been oh. a camera person who has spent that many days in a row with one angler? Probably not. And that's really, let's give Brian Evie credit where credit's due. And he has become a very, very good videographer on the water for bass. But that's also a testament to Brandon Polinick's yeah. consistency t- staying in the top 10, right? I mean, yeah. that's 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 incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, he, no. Dude, that guy... Look, let's just face it, man. Polnick is the man. He he is an incredibly well balanced, all around stud with a fishing rod in his hand. He can catch them all, man. Yeah, and the cool thing is, like, I look at him now, and I'm like, it's such a perfect time to have Brandon Polnick on the Bassmaster Elite Series because um, he went from being, you know, that young guy. He's one of the guys that so many people look at now, and and I'm thankful that they look at him. You know what I mean? And they look at what the right thing to do is to be there on Sunday if you can, to congratulate the champion. Funny backstory. um, I'm standing with them after the tournament's done. Um, And uh, Jay's dad comes up to us, who's a super good dude and an incredibly accomplished walleye angler. He's one angler of the year two or three times there. And he literally just came from a tournament at uh, in in Green Bay, I think, to make it there. So then Jay's dad starts telling Brandon this story. He's like, I don't know if you remember, but we followed you on uh, in Green Bay when you guys were competing here. And it was Brandon and Jonathan Van Dam that were battling it out. But but Jay Shakurik, a 13-year-old Jay Shakurik, wanted to follow him, Brandon Polnick, around for the day and follow the anglers. So his dad brings him out, and uh, it's pretty wild when you think about it because I remember Johnny won that event, and I remember Johnny won the event right before ICAST. Well, this is the event right before ICAST. Ten years later, 
And Jay Shakura wins at 23 years old. And uh, Brandon Polnick was the, and I'm like, how old do you feel? I mean, our champion <laughs> today remembers following you around when ago. you were 13 years old. And Brandon's like, and I was 23 years old when he was following me around. So pretty cool backstory. And um, kudos to uh, Polnick, kudos to Brian Evie for, uh, for that streak. And Angler years, I mean, Brandon's spacing away from them and we're heading to uh, a smallmouth fishery and potentially a smallmouth fishery. I mean, a fishery that at one point he had an eight pound lead will be our final event, you know. And he's been there before. He's been there before. A lot of the new guys have never been to Lake yeah. Hawaii. Paul yeah. was there the last time we were there. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one too. And, and I will say this, humanity, you know, in our world, in the in the professional bass fishing world, the three people that stand out the most as far as anglers go, and their and their humanity, and their just the just the they get life. Were Aaron Martins, Brandon Polnick, and Gerald Swindle, two of the three we've just talked about, and they have the, they have this this you know, character, this true character about them that we need humanity needs, especially in today's day and age with all the bickering going on in the world. And if, if everyone followed any one of those three guys in their life and their character lead in life, you're going to turn out great. <laughs> I want my son to look up to any one of those guys, you know? Yeah. Great, great people. I mean, our, our sport's full of them. It really is. I mean, those are three great anglers, but there's so many, that's what I love about it. Like even somebody like Jay who won this week, like, I, I mean, I would have liked him to celebrate a little bit more on stage. He's kind of a flat liner. Like, um, did you awesome. see the other duckets post yesterday? I did. It was actually really funny. <laughs> Somebody sent that to me. It is his different emotional face. It's always the same. His dad says that's how he has always been. But I'm going to tell you, that's an incredible trait to have as an angler. Bingo. But I did think when I, it's weird that things that go through your head during a weigh-in or my head, like you think I'm always focused on what's coming out. But like, as soon as Corey weighed 28, I was like, oh, this is going to, that's got to rattle Jay backstage. I mean, it had to be a part of you that thought, wait a second. Whoa. Did I overestimate one of those fish? You know, because now yeah. you really, I think you needed 23 and a half at that point to win. Um, and clearly he had 25 and change. So he was fine. But I just thought, oh, wow, that's going to push him. And I thought he would have celebrated more. You know, I loved when he said, when I hold that trophy, I might get emotional. He did say Mike. Did. I, I didn't see a lot of emotions, <laughs> um, but but uh, that flatline personality like that, being able to stay calm is also what allowed him to do what he did this week, which to me, I mean, him and Corey, I think one of the crappy things about this is you got to how Corey Johnston is it to go and crack 100 pounds and not win and be the only guy in the field that would be pissed about that. Um, I asked him that on stage and he did say, yes, I, I am pissed. Um, but I missed a great opportunity there, by the way, I screwed up so much. Um, here's the things that rattle me after an event. I had a moment when I had, uh, Corey Johnson and Chris Johnson on stage. And then, uh, Corey brought up his son, Jack. And I was kind of paying tribute to the brothers before Chris left and what they've accomplished there because nobody has. And I've used this line with my own son several times because his name's Jack. And I was like, I missed a golden opportunity to be like, if you think these two are good, you don't know Jack. 
coming to the elite <laughs> series in whatever. Um, but I'm sure we'll have those three up on stage and maybe I just <laughs> ruined it by talking about it now, but um, it, it was incredible. I mean, many people thought that, that there should be no, that that would never happen. Um, my only thing is that we need to do something different with their belts. I don't know whether we, they make the belts bronze or they put some, I, think I mean, it should it, be bronze, maybe a green and bronze. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, but, but it's so much more than doing it with largemouth. I mean, you look at the weights, it's phenomenal. It's, it's out of this world. So anyways, I was, sorry, go ahead. I was texting with Corey. I was at the airport waiting on my connection at Washington Dulles. And I was texting with Corey. I was just congratulating him. And, you know, really, I really wanted to just put my, just pat him on the back and go, man, I'm sorry, dude. You know, cause if there's any one tournament that he wants to win, it's the St. Lawrence river, right? Cause that's his freaking stopping oh, ground. So I close. Mean, he's the, him and his brother are probably the two best anglers on that entire system. And they've both won there. Corey winning the open last year and Chris winning the, the coat, the open during COVID. But I, you know, as we started, uh, winding our conversation down through text messages, I said to Corey, you know, what's ironic is you're going to win a blue trophy. You're going to win more than one blue trophy before your career's over. You just have to crack that ice. Right. But when he wins, I'll bet you he wins some tournament that he and no one ever expected him to win yep. because he's a very well-rounded angler as well. I mean, he can catch largemouth with the best of them, but he's going to win some tournament like the Sabine River or some something like that when he least expect it. And then that ice is going to be broken. And and Corey Johnson is dude. He's he is like he's like he reminds me of like. Babe Ruth's bat. He's just a he's just a hard nosed hockey fan, you know, tough guy, and 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 you just want him to win. And I felt bad for him uh, yesterday, but you know that's such his life too. You know, he walked away with thirty five thousand dollars too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, hey, he might just go and win Hawaii. I wouldn't count either exactly. of those guys out there. Um, he's a great angler. It's, it's the tough part about our sport. I mean, every way it, you're going to lose a lot. And um, a lot. here's where I take solace in. And it sucks to see that happen to Corey, but I've also seen Corey do that to literally probably maybe hundreds of people, like not always on the elite series, but taking their money, taking their, <laughs> not just their money. He is taking their soul. Like <laughs> those brothers, what they have done in tournament competition. So, uh, it he's had a tough break and you know what it is tough it's tough to win an elite series event um it does you, you look at the amount of people that it hasn't happened for and and i mean it, it it's tough you, but you mentioned uh breaking that ice i got a great story for you dude and i i've not even cleared whether i can tell this story but that makes it even better i guess um i may lose a friend over this one <laughs> um so it involves the Johnston brothers and it also in, involves uh, Caleb Sumrall, our good friend, Caleb Sumrall. So I spent a little time with those guys on Friday night and they told me one of the greatest stories ever. So Caleb Sumrall had a fish care penalty on day number one. He lost a fish. And uh, I don't think the Johnstons have ever got a fish care penalty, like literally at the elite series. I don't think they've ever lost a smallmouth as far as I can remember. 
Um, so that, and obviously they do this a lot. They know how to take care of them. But one of the big things that they do is a mega amount of ice. And it makes total sense to me. You think about it. If somebody needs to recover from anything, we put them in a hospital and let them recover, you know, and, and, and chill them out. You know what I mean? Through drugs it or whatever. It always helps. It always helps all the swelling, always. everything. So they're not allowed to give the fish drugs, but one way to do that is with cold, right? So they always bring a lot of bags of ice and they're constantly putting it in throughout the day and making sure that their fish stay real cold and, and real healthy. So Caleb was upset about um, losing a fish and he's talking to the Johnstons and he's like, I'm going to do whatever you guys tell me to do. What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. So they go to the gas station, I think thousand islands tackle or wherever they were going there, which shout out to those guys, a great group, another great business um, in that area of the world. But they go over there and, and it's Corey and Caleb and Caleb says, how many bags you buying, Corey? And he says, I'm buying 10. And he goes, well, give me 10 too. So he gets 10. They go fishing. And uh, well, Caleb catches, a, you know, two or three good ones. And uh, puts them in the live well and he's fishing away. And, you know, a little bit of time passes and he catches another one. He goes to put it in the live well. And those three big ones that he had already caught, they're all dead. Like they're all back there just... He's like, oh, my God, those Johnsons. I hate those Johnson brothers. What have they done to me and everything? So he starts pimp, pumping out the water and trying to get fresh water in there, like, you know, backing up the boat and doing all that stuff, getting fresh water in there quickly. And he gets back to fishing and he's like, man, I, I'm going to have three dead fish. This sucks. Um, this is horrible. You know, worse for the fish, obviously, but um, he's pretty bummed. And he gets back to fishing. No one. He can only literally call one fish or whatever. So I think he catches his fifth fish and he goes back to the live well. And dude, they're all alive again. <laughs> they're all swimming around. He's like, I couldn't even catch them. They are so lively. Bang, the bang, dumbass, bang in the sides of the live well. The dumbass Cajun that I love so much. He put all 10 bags in at once, dude. Like they don't oh, put them in at no. once. They put about three. Two. Heard they put 10 One bags. One bag per Cryogenically well. froze the bass, oh, basically. Oh, no. But happy to report that they, they were released healthy and fine because once they became unfrozen, I guess they weren't dead. They were just frozen. <laughs> They and, were in slush. Uh, yeah. So put lots <laughs> of ice in your fish. Just don't do it all at once. Like Caleb Sumrall. <laughs> the thing, the thing I, the, I have a couple of uh, real short stories about that, but I think the, the most common thing that I see, you know, Brandon Polinick carries an extra Yeti cooler in his boat, a soft yeah. side of Yeti just for two more bags, two more 10 pound bags of ice. Right. And the thing that I noticed is they put one bag per one bag per uh, per well when they when they ice the fish and they don't they keep checking it throughout the day and they don't put more ice in until all the ice is gone right and then they put another bag in per per well and I think there's a there's a Brandon Polinick is really good about taking care of his fish obviously the Johnson brothers are Lee is they've all taught each other how to do this and I think the ice is even more important than the fizzing needle the 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 pectoral fin weights all that fin stuff that don't ice. work on smallmouth I'm gonna tell you this right now anybody that puts fin weights on a smallmouth you are not largemouth they work 
smallmouth fight to get them off all day. Like if you put right. those fin weights, it, they, they just fight to get them off all day and it exhausts them. Um, so I, I, is anyone using fin weights during a smallmouth tournament that you saw? You I saw, yeah, I saw, name, I saw a couple people. I saw, I won't tell, talk about names, but I saw a couple people using them. In fact, one time, this was a long time ago. One guy that I was with didn't have any fin weights fin clips so he took a pair of a small pliers that he had in his boat and he took a hook and bent the hook around the top of the plier uh i'm sorry it was scissors around the handle and the scissors and then hooked the fish through the fin with the barbed hook and <laughs> used that as a fin weight and it actually worked so there are ways you know the, these guys you never hear them say oh my god i'm, I'm gonna lose four ounces when they have a dead fish, they always say, God, I hate, I hate that I lost that fish. Yeah. Like, cause they're usually big ones. If it's in the well, it's usually a good fish and whatever system they're in. And they do care about those fish and they do their very best to try to take care of them as best as they can. Yeah. And the best thing about Caleb's too, when you really think about it, he runs that aluminum express boat. And I'm like, dude, you turned your boat into the world's largest Yeti cup. <laughs> yeah. The tumbler. He was a Yeti tumbler. <laughs> he probably sat down on his seat and it was cold. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it, it was a, a great event. So, you were with Zaldane on uh, day four. On day four, and that was uh, cool. I hadn't been with him in, in a couple of years, and Zaldane and I used to go out a lot. I hadn't been with him since Eufaula in in the COVID year in 2020, and you know he almost he came back. He had like 20 minutes to go. And he got onto a wolf pack, a big smallmouth, and almost came back and won that tournament with smallmouth, and. We always have had a good time. I've always enjoyed being in the boat with Chris. We get along. We, we, you know, we, sh I don't know. There's just some energy there that we share that, that I like to be around. And it was really good to be back in Chris's boat. And I mean, heck dude, he caught what he caught 20. Did he catch 26 pounds on day four? He needed like yeah. 28. Yeah. He had a giant bag. I mean, he did. And, I forget about exactly and what it was. I think it was almost 26 pounds, maybe 25 and a bunch of change or 26 and a little change. Either way, you know, and he had a great day. And I learned a lot again from him and what he was doing. He was doing some things a little bit different. One thing really different that I probably shouldn't and can't mention on television or on, on, on a video like this, but he's always doing something different. And he is a very, very smart angler. I, I, I always learn something when I'm in the boat. It was Zaldane. I am aware of the difference he was doing. I, and, uh, I, I do respect I, him and it didn't, uh, it didn't get out there. So I don't think it's our job to put it out there, uh, but it will get out there. I think mm -hmm. speaking of a thing that got out there and if I was more prepared, I would have ran out to my boat and got it. Lots of big chatter about Takumi Ito's powder. <laughs> and he gave me some of that powder before the tournament before so I, I was you, actually shocked that it, it came. Well, no, I was flying in that flight. And he gives me like this big vial full of powder. And I'm like, are you sure of this? He's like, smallmouth love, love Takumi powder. <laughs> so um, it got across the border. So it is not a illicit <laughs> illegal <powder>. substance, <laughs> but it, it does work. It smells it's like shrimp. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's very fishy smelling. Um, but it, it, I was shocked that that got out there cause he was pretty secretive of it when he gave it to me. Um, but Takumi's always like marinating baits and he, you know, it's funny. Some anglers, Cooper Gallant, for example, I had him on live this week. Great angler. Um, great. was guy. awesome. Like it was special for me to have him on live. It's, you know, it's cool. I mean, and he's going to fish a classic this year. And I remember when he was a little kid, literally, you know, a young teenager in the crowd at the classic. And I remember telling him one day you're going to be on that stage. So to see him actually getting there is, is weird um, and, and super cool at the same time. But we were talking about scent on live and he's like, I'm, I don't use scent at all. Like he said, if a bait scented or whatever, I guess I'm using scent, but he's never, I've never applied scent. And then you get somebody like Takumi who literally marinates baits for a year in advance. Um, that that's Takumi's superpower though. If you ask me, like just doing things that nobody else will do. It's the Japanese way, man. I mean, it's like, you know, when I smelled it the first time, did you see the zip, the big Ziploc he had yeah. in it's it, he in, in a Sharpie ink, it said Takumi secret sauce or whatever it was <laughs> secret powder. That's what it said. <laughs> and I smelled it. Uh, I took, I took a, I, I, I uh, panned down to it or tilted down to it just to show it real quick on, on live. And cause he threw it out there and wasn't trying to hide it really yeah. because you don't know what it is. I mean, it could be ramen noodle powder for all we know, you know, <laughs> the shrimp flavored ramen noodle powder. Um, but it is interesting how, how organic Taku is with his, his baits are all organic and they're like, you know, if you, I mean, they dry out, if you leave them in the sun, yeah. they always have to be, he's just, he's just a different cat, man. He, he's, he's a, <laughs> I really enjoy being around, uh, Takumi. He's a, he's an interesting guy, man. Yeah. He, he's incredible. Always. Uh, and, and I think, dude, we're just scratching the surface, the little things we've seen him do. There's so many things that nobody's picked up on and nobody has an idea of, you know what I mean? Like no, people still don't know what he was using at St. Clair when he first really came onto the scene yeah. and made his top first top 10 at St. Clair. People still don't know what he was using there. And albeit for me to, to, you know, let the cat out of the bag, I'm not going to do it because That's he why is have who you he on is. here, Jane. Jake, you're you're an insider. I'll tell a lot, but not everything. I mean, I I, ever you know, I have a lot of friends, and I don't want to create a lot of enemies, right? Yeah, I like to let you tell the things, so then I can be like, you know, I I I, Jake just started talking, and it was Jake. He did it. (laughs) But it's it's it is incredible how detail oriented he is, and how laser focused he is when he gets on you know, the fish or when he's searching for fish, he is laser focused and he's always pulling out some weird tool out of his bat belt to, to get yeah. It done. Yeah. It's cool. But I was are we lucky or what? Oh, nobody has a better job. I always say that. I mean, I, and I wouldn't switch with the anglers. People are like, Oh, he wouldn't you rather be like, I, trust me, that tournament motivated me to want to go fishing out there. But there was no part of me that's like, I want to, like, I love what we get to do. I mean, and I think that's a true part of life. Do something that you really love and be happy with the person you are. And life just gets better and better, it seems. Um, We're pretty lucky to see it. My dad always told me, I don't care what you do. Just pick something that you love 
and try to be really, really good at it. And if you yeah. do that, you'll never go to work a day in your life. And you'll also be really successful at it. I, I think, like, you know 100%. what I mean? Like, you can it might not happen right anything. away, but it take any, anything. I don't care anything. whether. <laughs> what if you're the world's greatest or lawnmower? You know, I'm sure this what, is. What if, they'll, what, they'll hire you at Augusta, maybe. Exactly. Like exactly. There is. Exactly. There is a. Because and also if you love something, I mean that you're just going to work harder at it. You know, it's not just the you won't work. Like, because I feel like we do work at times. You know, there's times where like you're like, well, this is not. It's not real work, but it, we're working hard at our work. Um, you guys are different though. Like even my wife said that. She said, you watch the camera guys come off the water and they're lugging these big bags and they're oh, like you guys the the we're work proud. that the camera crew puts in is uh is incredible but i mean you guys got to be leaving this one feeling like whoo the anglers are happy was flat but nobody's happier than the camera crew that it was flat that's very true too we and we we talked about that in the trailer when we come off the water we all like when all the boats come in we're all looking at each other like we talk when we come you know we pass each other if we pass one another on the lake we always wave at each other yeah. like we are a team and we're very proud of what we do and we come off and we step onto the dock and walk over to the camera trailer you know people are looking at us we're the camera guys we're the there we were when making happen what they were watching during the day on live and we're really really proud of what we do and i know you are on stage we're proud of you what you do i talked to zona i had a conversation with zona about this one time and he said it's it's all about heart the anglers are proud of what they do you're proud of what you do tommy and zona ronnie and such Everyone in the director's chair or in the truck, the production truck, everyone is so proud of what we do that that's why this whole thing is is what it is. That's why we're so family oriented. That's why we are Bassmaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we screw up sometimes. Let me tell you about one of my screw ups. <laughs> All the time. Oh, <laughs> listen to this. And, and I hope that this guy, he said he was a fan. So let's hope he, he listens to this podcast. If he does, I beg you to comment below and say it was me. Um, <laughs> I haven't told, I think I told, I, I might've just told Paul Nick this. I think that's the only person I told because in the afternoon after it happened, he was standing right there. And I was like, you're not going to believe what I just did. I, I didn't remember who I told. I think it was Paul Nick. So anyways, way in's over. This whole tournament for me was a mind melter. Like normally I can tell you so-and-so this person got what, like within ounces of their weight, for whatever reason, I remember what they weighed day one, day two. This one's a mind melter because there was just so much, it, it you know, going on. But anyways, um, after the weigh-in, I always try to go out front and uh, say hi to everybody, especially in the last day. You know what I mean? You want to see the champion and people making a hoopla over him and everything. And, and thankfully, some people come up every once in a while and say, hey, can I get a picture or whatever? And that's cool. It's one of the coolest things ever. So I'm more than happy to do it. But this giant man, um, a really tall dude, like reminded me of the guy from Happy Gilmore. That jacket belongs to <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Or belongs to Happy Shooter. And he chased him down. You know, that dude. So he's got a little tiny baby and he's holding this little tiny baby. He's like, can we do a picture? And um, so I go to like 
you know, his baby's kind of fussing at the time. And I give the baby trying to give the baby a little gooch, gooch, goo. You know what I mean? While we're posing for this picture. And I'm I kind of doing it like I in my head, I was I was doing it on the back of the baby's head, like to make him kind of laugh or whatever. Right. And then like halfway through, I realized I'm doing this on the back of a giant man's shoulder. <laughs> Didn't say anything about it, dude. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm like, wow, is this really happening? And then I stopped <laughs> and we had the picture and he walked away. But there's a giant man somewhere in the world thinking that I was like going <laughs> tickling his back. <laughs> <laughs> to him. So I'm sorry. That didn't mean anything. I was trying to be a nice person and uh, be friendly to your child. Uh, I don't know why it was on your shoulder, but um, don't read into it. <laughs> He's already told a million people what happened. <laughs> that weirdo. <laughs> Boom shot Mercer. My ass. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your kids away from him. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. So strange and so weird. But two bags over a hundred pounds. Corey Johnson with a hundred pounds and five ounces. And obviously Jay Shakira with a hundred and two pounds and nine ounces. Um small mouth. <laughs> The, the greatest smallmouth bass tournament in history. Um, and and I would think, you know, all the other smallmouth fisheries that are incredible and world-class. Champlain. There's been a Saint new... Claire, yeah, Malax, Columbia River, Erie, Malax, All of them. All of them. There's been a new bar set. And, and here's what I will say. I, I said on stage, numbers don't lie, and I can't wait to see the other fisheries beat it. You know, because it... Inevitably, it could happen someday, and I hope it happens. I hope. I mean, every fishery goes through a cycle, right? Yeah, I hope the St. Lawrence River beats its own record. You know what I mean? I hope they all. What a great time we're all living in! Like in a world where people say, "Oh, it's not quite what it used to be." Fishing used to be. It's smallmouth bass fishing is better today than it ever has been in the history of the world, and it's the best on some of the most populated. Some would say some of the most polluted bodies of water out there, and that's where it's all going down. So it's 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 truly amazing. It's truly amazing. It, it was an amazing week, and I mean, pretty much all those anglers. If you ask them, would you rather catch a five-pound smallmouth or an eight-pound largemouth? Ninety-nine point nine percent of them are always going to pick a five-pound smallmouth over an eight-pound largemouth. Would you yeah. agree with that? Maybe in six pound smallmouth. I mean, a five pounder is more like a seven pound large mouth, I think. You I think? don't know. Maybe I don't They're know. On the maybe same I hold Lawrence, them at maybe. a higher standard. <laughs> um, I probably hold large mouth at a higher standard just because. They're I keen. mean, you can't say a five pounder because you saw people catch limited four pounders. So for one pound difference, I don't know. I'm just, dis it's Monday, dude. We're not supposed okay. to do this today. We're both very, like, I literally. <laughs> When I told my wife, I'm like, I got to go do this podcast with Jake. She's like, right now? Like, and I'm like, well, Jake's got to go, and I, I'm going to go to iCast. So while the, you guys are watching this, I'm in uh, the hottest place on Earth, uh, Orlando, and you're in Little for iCast, and you're in Little Rock for Steel Timber Sports. Um, and I feel like we're going to finish this, and we're both going to be like, oh, yeah, we forgot to talk about this and that, because there was – so much, so, so much, much going on. So much well, going back to the smallmouth, big smallmouth versus large, large mouth. My analogy would be 
large, big, large mouth are the lions of the freshwater world and small mouth are the leopards of the underwater, the, the freshwater fish world. If I can, right. is that because you got the king, the king versus what everyone else wants to see too is a freaking leopard. But I will tell you this, they are not the king though. Because when I was a kid, I had little, I mean, I think it's actually illegal in Ontario, but I had, <laughs> I had a little pet smallmouth bass and little, again, and little pet largemouth bass. You almost can't keep them together. Like literally the largemouth has to be a lot bigger because the smallmouth, I think they just drive them insane. You know, it's a cat and a dog. Same analogy. Again, they just like one's hyper and crazy and the other one is just very slow and thought out, but um, very different animals. Yeah. Yeah. Different animals. And how come you, I mean, you weren't with the winner this week, Jake, you let all our viewers down. Way to go. (laughs) I mean, Jay, Jay was so consistent and solid throughout from days two, three, and four, as you well know, once like Trey Bruce was in his boat and once you're locked in into once you're especially coming from day two, particularly because the top 10 changes from day one to day two, right. Or the, the camera, the camera crew does. Yeah. And because we, we settle into the established top six on day two. And once you're in that boat and if you're, if your guys locked in on a pattern, you're not leaving that boat and, you know, kudos to Jay for what he did and Trey, he covered him really, really well. To our, we have a great camera crew. We really do. Yeah, we're solid. Kudos to the to the whole team. I mean, the coverage this weekend was awesome. I know one thing we got to talk about quickly because I don't even know if you saw it. Did you see any of the poker run on Saturday? I did not. It I is always. The- <laughs> It is the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, dude. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I was shocked by it. Um, like, the first group of boats, they do up to 200 miles an hour. I mean, all of a sudden, in a world wow. where everybody wants to talk about bass boats, and, you know, he's got three, four graphs, five graphs, and this is ridiculous and outpricing. Just look at those dudes. I mean, there were several boats. Five, I mean, the real fast 50s. ones had inboards, but there were several outboard five, four fifties on it. Five yeah. of them. A thousand horsepower, or no, uh, it's more than that. Yeah, two thousand twenty-five hundred horsepowers of outboard engines on the back of a boat. Yeah, that's insane. insane. That's insane. insane dude. It, it, and when they blast off in the morning, like what we were doing live, and we got to see it. I don't know how more people don't get killed during this. <laughs> like literally hundreds of recreational boats, pontoon boats, aluminum boats, all kinds of boats. Going they different directions. The they, no, they line oh. the channel because they want to watch it. Oh, I see. And then these boats do an actual, it's not a trickle start like we do. They do an actual blast off. They shotgun have three different start. blast offs, shotgun starts. The first one is for the boats that do like up to 200 miles an hour type thing. So they're the super rich dudes. When they took off, I mean, literally, the rooster is uh, 80, 90, 100 feet long, more. I don't know how long. Like, it's just you just see the sea and there's it looks like, like a rocket taking off. Yeah. And there's like, 50 of them all together with, with two helicopters right above them, like literally right above <clears> them. <throat> and then they're running through this channel and there's all these people in pontoon boats and stuff watching it and just getting the crap beat out of smack. themselves. And and then the next group goes, and that's the the poor dudes who only have the twins, 
you know, could just two four fifties on their boats. Uh, they go next to the next group. And then there's a, a third group that goes where they're just like speed boats. They're, you know, they, I don't even know why they hang out with those other guys. Cause I mean, you got a pretty cool boat until you park beside the dude with five, four fifties. But and the joke of it is it's a poker run. So literally you could win it with a trolling motor. If you had a strong enough battery, because it's all random. I mean, they just run to a location, grab a card and hit the road. Then they run to a next location, grab a card. And at the end of the day, they take all those cards and put their hand down and the highest hand wins. So it is just a way for rich people to, uh, to say they're, they're burning gas for charity. Basically. <laughs> I guess uh, what, what's what swindle said about it. Or was it swindle? Someone says something on air on live about burning gas. Like, like burning gas, like it's Trump prices. <laughs> uh oh, that was uh, I believe Paul Mueller. <laughs> That's who it was. <laughs> he said several things uh, <laughs> this week. Um, yeah, so it was a great tournament, and um, so much fun, so many things. That was. Did Did you notice how many boats were behind the stage, and how many comments there were about? People, this is my first time to watch a tournament or watch weigh-ins or, you know, from yeah. from the water, from my boat. And there was a lot of boats. I was shooting uh, the weigh-in on Saturday afternoon, and I kept looking out there and, and, and panning my camera back to just show how many boats and people there were back there. That was, that was pretty cool. And that's kind of a rare thing because we don't have a stage set up that close to water very often. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, I didn't get a great perspective, obviously, because I was on the stage, but I did see around the corner, like as you'd see boats floating around it. And I've always, I wish if we, if we went back to Havasu or something like that, I've always been like, like where we waited in Havasu would have been perfect. We just spun the stage towards the water. We'd still have room for a crowd, but then you'd have a bunch of people out in a boat, uh, you know, it'd be like, freaking Kenny Chesney concert. It'd be uh, or like, you know, the San Francisco Giants uh uh oh, yeah. candlestick, but we're all they're all out there in their in their kayaks waiting on Barry Bond's shots to hit the water. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I do recall. Um an amazing wake, an amazing tournament and um Hopefully we've told you some good stories. We're both pretty sleep deprived and uh, ready to get to the next event. But uh, hey, here's another thing that I, uh, I'm bad at talking about it, but we, uh, and maybe I'll show it in the close here. I'll go get it. Um, you guys and Jake, you're a big part of it. Everybody that's helped. We, uh, the amount of growth this channel's had is insane. And um I, I think a month that. ago we passed a hundred thousand subscribers, which is a big deal in the YouTube world. And they send you a silver play button. And, uh, we got that. We're going to hang that up in the office. Um, we're at 116,000 now. It I just continues to grow. Thank you all. And, and thank you, Jake, for, for what you've done. And, um, I mean, we, all we can promise you is we'll be here every week doing whatever we do. And, uh, Thank you. I mean, it's it's weird. Thank I'm just you, not good at it. Well, I'm hey, not- it's like what you said the other day. Uh, where were we when you said we were talking about report cards and all the things, all the bad <laughs> grades you got and comments you got on all your report cards or how you make your living now? 
It's true. Dave <laughs> needs to be quieter. Dave needs talks to be less of a dreamer. Dave Can't talks too much. He, he's too hyper. Um, yeah, it's all every one of those comments is literally how I got my job, and I, I'm thankful for it. But um, now, nah, you know, so it's all weird. you class clowns out there, there's hope for you. There is. There is. You just got to rein it in Parents at the right time. <laughs> That's right. Just guide your kids down the right path with whatever talent that they have and support that because it, it'll all work out in the end. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. All right. You're taking your kids swimming now, right? Is that yeah, the plan? We're, we're heading to the pool. It's going to be 99 degrees here today. Uh, I've got one day to hang with my children and we're going to go to the swim pool and have a blast. All right. Thanks very much, Jake. You are awesome. And, uh, and what's going to be a month until we do another tournament together? I'm going to miss oh, no. you. Oh, by the way, Lee confirmed with me yesterday, you know, Whiskey Myers is playing in Cheyenne two days before practice starts at Lake Oahe. So he's going to drive from Texas to my house, spend a day on Horsetooth Reservoir fishing for smallmouth in his boat with me. And then we're going to go to Cheyenne on his way up to Lake Oahe. We're going to go through Cheyenne, watch Whiskey Myers play at an outdoor venue there. And then he's going to head on up. I'm going to spend an extra couple of days with my kids. And then I'm driving up to Lake Oahe. So if you want anything from Colorado, let me know. Cause I'll get it. I'm driving up. I can, I'm bringing, I'm bringing Lee a bunch of, uh, a bunch of my, my daughter's, uh, uh, infant clothes and like this, this, uh, mountain buggy stroller that, that I have all kinds of stuff. I'm taking all that up to leave for his daughter lane. So if you need something from Colorado, let me know. Well, I don't need any kid clothes. And no. why would you ask me on a public podcast if I need something from Colorado? Oh, let besides me. that, do you know what everyone's <laughs> going to think now? Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, we'll, 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 I wasn't we'll even thinking that. Well, I mean, I can guarantee you when everybody heard you say the exact words, let us know in the comments when you heard him say, Hey, if you need something from Colorado, I'm driving. What did you think? Legally. And uh, on that matter, we'll talk later. Transportable. <laughs> okay. Okay, Dave. <laughs> Thank you very much for everyone tuning in. And as always, Jake, your Jake's takes are incredible. A great show, a great guest, and I hope you guys enjoyed it once again. And uh, what we ended up talking about there, um, the YouTube play button, I'm a weirdo this way. I I think I'm a pretty decent hype guy for a lot of things, just not really good for myself. Um, we passed 100,000 YouTube subscribers, and I thought about doing all sorts of promos. I tried to pull off a different thing, and it never worked. Um and then I was just like, I just don't, uh, you know, I know a lot of people put up the posts about we got here and I, I'm supposed to do that. So people know that we're growing and we don't get fired by all the companies we work with. Um, but I'm not real good at it. But um, here it is, said YouTube play button. And this right here, this award, this award, while it says my name on it, it isn't my award. It's you guys, honestly. When um, I kind of really strapped down and said, man, we're going to make YouTube a thing. Um, over a year ago, we had 35,000 subscribers. We passed 100,000 a month ago. Currently at about 116,000. Thank you. That's all I have to say is thank you. You guys are awesome. 
You guys have supported, you guys have liked, you guys have commented. Every time I beg you to like, comment, subscribe, this is what we've been working forward. And it's amazing that a month later we're at 116,000. I mean, at one point I really thought like, come on, 100,000 is, is, is dream world. But um, you guys helped make that happen. You guys made that happen. So thank you all. A lot of people like to do some talking. But this proves talk is cheap. You guys talked with uh, your likes, with your subscribes, with your support. And um, thank you. Thank you all for making this channel what it is. And what I promise you is no matter how late we get home from tournaments, no matter how tired I am, no matter how whooped our guests, we'll always do everything we can to continue to bring you content. Literally, there's content posted on this channel almost every day. Um, it, it's very rare we miss a day, whether it be through this show, whether it be through the news show, whether it be through fishing tips, whether it be through the shorts, the underwater shorts that we post. Every single day, you can swing by this channel and get something. And that's that's what my commitment is to you guys. And that's what it's always been. We may not be the best show. We may not be the um, biggest show. But we'll be a show every single week and um, we'll try to get you some kind of a break from the monotony of life and the craziness of life. And um, I thank you all for making any of this possible. You guys are awesome. And um, keep coming up to me at events and stuff and reminding me, yeah, I'm, I'm this person because uh, it's awesome to meet you guys in person. And speaking of, of events, I'm heading to iCast, or I am at iCast while you're watching this right now. So I'll make sure to post a bunch of videos about stuff that I see. And uh, whether it be coolness, whether it be oddities, whether it be awesomeness, I will try to post some videos up throughout the week. But once again, thank you all. You guys are incredible. Thank you to Vantage Point Media House. They'll never see this because they never watch the podcast. They just work on it. Um and uh, but thank you if you if you know Nick Pugic, Brady and the crew, um, tell them thank you for for the hard work that they put in, and uh, thank you all for making this. I see. I told you I'm bad at this. I'm really bad at dealing with things that are affecting me personally. Like if somebody else won this award, um, I'd be good at hyping it up, but not so good for me. And I don't even know where to end. So I'll end this like I always do. Enjoy being. Have a good week. And Bob Cobb, take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?